Hello and welcome to episode 138 of the Book Wars Pod. I'm Chris. I'm here. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to remember to pause to let you do a drop there. And never. No, never. Never. We don't do this all the time. <laughs> Listen, we're trying. Honestly, better than usual. Just Correct. We recorded for like two months in a row. <laughs> we recorded for like two months in a row, so. We honestly, Rana, it's because we don't want to like look like just complete slackers to the new host. (laughs) So like, thank you for like making us self-conscious and making us record. It is my job in life. Judgmental, critical. Who knew it was a skill? I'm the Capricorn (laughs) here. That's an astrology joke. (laughs) I don't know why I sounded like a crow, but uh (laughs) I'm going to escort myself out. (laughs) As you could hear, we are joined, as always, by Rana and Miranda, and Kristen is here as well. I like that you're referring to yourself um, with the... With the royal we? The royal we, yes. Oh, I thought he just meant we, like the podcast listeners and all of Collective Noun Book Wars. We are here with Rana and Miranda, and Kristen is producing. I just thought Collective Noun Book Wars pod... But I get it. Now I yeah. see Christmas. I mean, I'm making that's absolutely what my thinking was. But But know. I like Miranda's version more. Yeah. For yeah, sure. I'm 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 fine with it being the royal we. I'm fine. It's fine. I didn't vote for you. That that's I don't. the beauty of it. <laughs> yeah, I hate to break it to you on your uh, your knowledge of most monarchies. I know that this book might challenge that, but it's true. Congratulations on your close read of Queen's Peril by E.K. Justin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, today we are wrapping up this book, uh, but first, before we do so, what is everyone drinking? I remember to hit record this week. <laughs> so proud of <laughs> so you, So that's Kristen. your drink. That's Step my one. drink. I'm drinking a hibiscus LaCroix. Ooh. It tastes like flowers. It's not my favorite, but it was cold, so... oh. That. And now Jasper's here. Hi, buddy. Jasper! Hey, Jasper. He wants hibiscus, too. He does. No, he wants to lick the condensation off of the can. So Correct. Yeah. Okay. Well, what are you drinking, Rana? I am drinking, this is a little bit nostalgic, uh, so bear with me, but I am drinking a Spencer Monk's India Pale Ale. And it's exciting and nostalgic because my grandparents live like two, three miles away from this place. And like my mom grew up getting in trouble for like almost lighting the fields of the Abbey on fire as a bad teenager. <laughs> Actually, it was her brother, but whatever. Uh, and like we always accidentally trespass there because there's like no sign. So you go through the woods and then you like go under a fence and you're like, wait a second, I can't be here. Um, and so anyways, I never thought that this would be in Colorado. And they just started brewing beer like maybe seven or eight years ago. Uh, So I didn't think it would have made it to, like, national distribution. Um, It's one of the only, uh, what do you call it, like, um, Trappist beers in the U.S. So I'm super excited and nostalgic, and yeah, that's that. That sounds like some Western Mass bullshit. It's Central. Central Mass. Thank (laughs) you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Lower income, same story. Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Go ahead, Burb. Uh, So I... I'm drinking a beer that has not been consumed on the pod before, which coming from Portland is a feat, I'd say. 
So this is not the beer that I tried to buy uh, from the place across the street. But sometimes their system kind of breaks and, like, tells you that they have inventory that they don't have. Um, apparently, it doesn't just happen to me because I, I, I walked in like, did I break it again? Uh, so she is obviously a local beer from our friends at Little Beast Brewing. It's called a Green Queen West Coast IPA. A uh, royal combination of cryocentennial, citra, and lemon drop hops impart bright notes of pine, grapefruit, lemon peel, and melon. Bold and graceful, the queen has spoken. It's pretty a good. Fitting, a fitting title for this I book. was going to say, Miranda, you should put that on the Instagram. Oh, it's, it's, it's a, really a really pretty, pretty can. can. Yeah. I almost said case. That's not the word for it. It's the, it's the case for the beer. It's Everything's a case lives. if you think hard enough. Aren't we all but a case? <laughs> For our souls. Exactly. Chris, you just want to go so I stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> usually that's what I say. Uh, usually it's the other way around. Other people have to make me stop talking. Um, I Sorry, Orca is like cannot decide where he wants to be right now. Um, he is standing perched between my leg and the arm of my chair. Uh, and staring over at Kate because she is doing actual work and not doing her more important job of playing with Orca all the time. Um, she? I know. It's really, it's inconsiderate is what it is. Uh, I am drinking tequila. Uh, I'm drinking tequila. a delicious uh, tequila blanco that I believe I've had on the pod before, uh, but it is uh, Fortaleza. And yeah, it's got like a little bit of saltiness to it, like some fruitiness like it's good stuff we love it when things are salty and fruity i <laughs> i i i don't know i got no response to that i don't either it's <laughs> it just I made me think of the ocean <laughs> i thought it was a nice like coastal summary reference but i guess not i mean it's not not that maybe i'm just referring i maybe i'm projecting on this tequila Salty and fruity. Yep. There we go. <laughs> we got there. We found the joke. <laughs> um, oh, boy. All right. This is going to go well. I know. It's a great, <laughs> great sign. Uh, and as we have been saying for the past couple episodes, uh, the organization that we are highlighting while we read Queen's Peril is the Loveland Foundation, uh, which was selected by Kate, and it is... Uh, a fund that provides financial assistance to black women and girls seeking therapy nationally. So if you have the means and are so inclined, we encourage you to give to the Loveland Foundation. Um, so let's dive in. Although before we dive in, we are recording on Monday night. So I have to ask, is anybody staying up until uh, Bad Ideas o'clock to watch Bad Batch tonight? Oh, you know, I no. usually go to bed at like nine. So <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> This, is, this late. is really I'm the like, wrong Ooh. crowd for me to be asking that question to. <laughs> Shout it to your wife. She may have an answer. <laughs> yeah. What I'll, what I'll probably do is wait until after I get my shot on Wednesday. Mm. Mm, makes sense. And then just smart. have something to watch while I'm like dead in my apartment. Very smart. Very smart. This is where the fun begins. Exactly. All right. So let's talk. Speaking of the fun, let's talk about prison camps. Um... <laughs> 
let's talk about Naboo and life on Naboo during the war. Um, obviously, we have we didn't see this in the Phantom Menace. The closest indication that we got is uh, Bibble's uh, kind of warning about the death toll being catastrophic, which we now know has been worked in as a as a secret code. Um, but it is this kind of like prison camp vibe is not usual for Star Wars. It is relatively uncommon, to say the least. Yes. Except for the last book that we read. I know, that's true. This is not the best timing for me to say it's uncommon. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's funny because we, you know, we know uh, that obviously Alexander Freed just loves ripping everybody's hearts out. And so in most other books, there are no prison camps. But in Alexander Freed books, I think we probably have a couple. You know, we, we obviously just read Shadowfall, where we learn about what happened to Aiden and Kairos and Ido. Um, but the, and then I, I want to say maybe we had something in Twilight Company, but correct me if I'm wrong. It could be. That whole book was just dark as shit, man. Correct. Um, but it's, it's the, the kind of brutality that like firsthand, so to speak, that we're seeing of the prison camp is new. I think, it's... you know, they definitely don't show 12 year olds being tortured in Shadowfall for all its, for all its gruesomeness. Yeah, and you know what they also don't show 12-year-olds getting tortured in? Anything? Star Wars? Menace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Like, it, it makes sense, like, that they are... I think I they kind of reference camps in the movie, like when Panaka is going to do his side of the helping people escape. But they don't show, you know, sweet little sachet, like, getting droid tortured. And, you know, like, sure, the droids are going to put folks in the camps. They're taking over. It's a war. But what the fuck? This is a young adult novel. <laughs> Listen, yeah, teach him young. Yeah. Oh, sorry. We had very no, different you go, takes Rana. on that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, teach him young. Don't talk to it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I mean, I'm only partially kidding. Please don't torture children. But also, like, I thought it was a lesson that all kids learn, not of being tortured, but being told, like, if this ever happens, like, you don't get, no. Okay, let me stop talking now. It's awkward. <laughs> that was amazing. Never mind. Um, yeah, I, I will say that, like, I think this is the most extended, like, firsthand um, experience we're getting. You know, in Shadowfall, it was Aiden describing it. You know, but they're they're living it in this book, and we see. And luckily, like everyone in this book is really fucking smart, except for like Panaka and the governor, prime minister dude, whatever Bibble Bibble. Babble, good old CO Bibble. Um, (laughs) Like everyone's really smart; they figure shit out immediately. They're like, oh yes, we won't just weave patterns of this camp. And transport it, because that is spying. I found that fascinating, and I really felt like either maybe I should have taken a nap before reading, or like I was a little confused about how the weaving entered into the repetition game. Like, I get that it was supposed to be something that couldn't be replicated, but I was just kind of confused. I was like, wait, I think I'm missing a piece here. Oh, I think... 
my interpretation was that like there's something specific about that game that you can like recreate in a visual kind of medium and so that like any kid who grew up you know in the naboo society is going to be like ah yes these are my abcs or right multiplication tables or whatever the fuck it is right for some reason i thought they were like weaving a code and i was like i mean obviously we know there are a lot of like traditional things that can be turned into codes um a la world war ii history but i was just like curious about how that sort of worked but it makes way more sense of what you're saying of like just how it probably already was an existing relationship between like weaving or a like a, a physical or visual of it so now that answered my question thank you burr cool i just made that up so oh well <laughs> it worked <laughs> But yeah, I, I love like the kind of recurring theme of Naboo is that all of them are smarter than us. Yeah. Like it's just it's just a planet full of geniuses. Well, I think we touched on this in the first episode we did. And in the first half of the book, it's basically like, yeah, everyone on Naboo is basically a prodigy. It just be like that, like they're all fucking incredible artists and musicians and all this shit. And like we see it obviously in the Handmaidens. Like, you know, Sabe's always second best, but I'm like, you're fucking incredible at what you do. And, like, you got this painter, forger girl, just ruling her own little world, basically. She's got some, like, weird underground forgery ring, because she's just, like, so fucking talented. It's wild. Yeah. And it is interesting to kind of see the resistance develop and obviously the resistance is is a very different concept 50 you know some odd years in the future but it's you know getting to see how everybody adapts to droid occupation is like very um what's the word i'm looking for it's like a a look into the future of the clone wars and how that is going Mm -hmm. to impact the galaxy at large um not just necessarily naboo yeah, and I think the key um, with this and with the camp that we see is that, like, we know it's all folks from the palace. Like, it's already the guards and the people who live and work around the guards, um, you know, all the, the staff, basically. So I think it was probably a bit easier for them to, like, kind of come up with something shady. Because, like, yeah, it's like, oh, we're trained for this. Not really, but we can pretend. And, you know, um, like, they're, they're used to, you know, thinking tactically and strategically. And, like, preparing for the worst case scenario. That's the whole point of having guards, right? That and protection. But y- you get it. Speaking of the guards, let's another obviously major character in the book that we haven't talked too much about is Panaka. Um, and he is obviously a character that we know from the movie. Um, and he's like, he's an interesting character because on the one hand, he's like kind of a crazy genius because all of his stuff ends up being incredibly necessary. Like he is very prescient in his concern over Padme's security. And on the other hand, he's absolutely fucking bonkers. He's (laughs) way too close to Palpatine. And we also know from Queen Shadow that he and Padme eventually have a pretty major falling out and don't like each other by the end of her term. 
Do we? So since I didn't read Queen Shadow one day, um, can you give a refresher on if we ever find out why that is? We do. Yeah. So essentially, it's not just because he was like, I forgot periods are a thing. It's, it was not. It was not lingering. <laughs> that is the thing that happened. Thing. In this book, I, I yeah. put a I put a, a blood sensor in the room where a bunch of teenage girls live. What's the worst that could happen? Um. But yeah, so what happened with Panaka is that after the invasion, obviously there was, or not obviously, but fittingly, there was a debate on Naboo about planetary security and whether they should do, uh, whether they should develop a standing army, whether they should, you know, take larger steps to defend themselves. And it kind of evolved into two camps of the pacifists, for lack of a better term, the, the, the non-militarists saying, no, they don't want to do things. And Panaka, not necessarily leading, but being a vocal member of the no, we need to militarize crowd. And Not surprising. Yeah, yeah, that's very on brand for him. Yeah. And that resulted in the development of Naboo's um, I, like, big like citywide ion pulse that they put in Theed that we see in Battlefront 2. Um, but that's like later down the road. But so anyway, the break between them is that he like kind of openly criticized her position after this invasion about not wanting to militarize more. And so it, it strained relations between them. It's going to happen. Mean, I can see like it's kind of his job. <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's a good point for him to make. Like, I mean, that's that's the whole vibe of his character in this entire book. It's like, so we need like protection. And Padme's like, let me use my handmaidens. And by the way, the protection you make me do, I'm just not going to do. So it's cool. <laughs> He's yeah. like guns. And she's like, sometimes I'm going to stick out of a window. <laughs> <laughs> For safety. <laughs> but yeah. And so it is interesting to see his character and see like kind of the, the origin of their relationship and how they fit into this, I don't know, like this comfortable antagonism almost i don't know how would y'all describe it i think that's a good way to describe it especially like it, it, you know when i think about it like he was you know it sounds like um all the candidates for queen like had a royal security person with them um and he was hers and so it's like okay well he's there for that you know candidate and then as she like gets into the queendom um you know and as she grows in that role she learns she obviously becomes way more emboldened right um i think it's easy for him to be like this is not what i thought things were gonna be like because it used to be that i could just say things but you're a grown well you're a teen person with your own thoughts and goals and shit and i don't like that it's interesting because I sort of felt like it's a role that often happens with someone who is older and in charge of like keeping a young person, maybe not responsible, but because um, we know Padme is responsible, but in terms of like people who need to keep young people in line, I guess not like in like, not like a Catholic school nurse, like hitting people with rulers, but in the sense of like a little bit more, um, acknowledgement of 
these people's autonomy and, you know, their personhood, but also still saying, look, you know, I, I'm drawing the lines, but you can't draw the lines if the person who you're drawing the lines around is the literal queen. Like, that's <laughs> not possible. Um, so, yeah, I almost felt like I didn't really sense too much conflict other than what you would expect in one person, like, testing their boundaries and the other trying, you know, kind of needing to be reeled in. But maybe that's just because I'm a conflict-prone person, so maybe it didn't feel that bad. I was like, this isn't bad at all. Um, and I mean, for a teenager, like, I know that they're all, you know, prodigies, but in terms of teen conflict with authority, or I guess teen authority conflict with others, because she is an authority, um, it didn't feel that bad to me. Like, that can get a lot worse. Though, I guess sneaking out to a concert, maybe. But she came home, right? Like, stuff like that. It's like, well... You know, After she got busted. Rules. Yeah, but a lot of teenagers would be like, fuck it, I'm still doing blah, 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 you know? I guess not, they, that's why they're not queens. <laughs> fuck being queen and running away. <laughs> fuck this, I want to go to my friends! God. Yeah. yeah, no, for I, sure. I mean, I think, Ronna, you make a really good point. Um, I think, to me, the really interesting thing that has always kind of struck me about Panaka is his relationship with with Palpatine and I say always I mean in the books not when I was like you know nine and saw the Phantom Menace did not strike me that they had a particularly strong relationship back in 1999 but um it's it was always because we also in addition to Queen Shadow we read Leia Prince of Alderaan where Panaka ends up as the moth of this sector and kind of has this uh this moment of like oh shit realizing who (laughs) leia is and like putting the whole the whole situation in jeopardy but so like that kind of like uh that kind of influences like my perspective a little bit but seeing that he is super close with palpatine and like seeing from the perspective that we know that Palpatine is just manipulating everybody and seeing like how skillfully he's doing it in terms of, Oh, just checking in, just seeing how things are going on the home front. Um, that also is interesting as well, because obviously, you know, you look at someone like Padme who likes Palpatine is thankful for what he does for the planet, but never kind of falls into that same trap. I don't even know that I have a point here. I'm kind of just rambling because I found it interesting. No, I mean, it makes sense. Um, Like, Palpatine can manipulate anybody, but, like, at this point, it's like, okay, well, he's the senator from Naboo, you know, the head of the royal guard. Like, you're going to know each other. Um, And, I mean, we know what Palpatine's doing. We know he's a fucking Sith Lord. But, you know, Panaka's like, oh, this guy's super friendly and helpful, and he wants what's best for Naboo. This is good. Yeah, I don't fault him for not catching it. I mean, we all, I think we all want to think that we would have caught it, but like, probably not. How many of us have even like had, I mean, you don't have to raise your hand or anything. It's not mean girls, but like, how many of us have even had friends who like were manipulative on a friendship level or a boss who you worked for or something, you know, as opposed to like a senator who is a Sith Lord and has like crazy (laughs) abilities, you know? So I think it's reasonable to have fallen for it. I was going to say, I I thought you were going to be like, how many of us have been, you know, unwittingly 
part of a galactic <laughs> takeover plot. Like, who among us? <laughs> you were. It's only, only like the twice, third thing okay? that's happened with on the podcast. It's fine. I'm past it. I've learned. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by yeah. Senator Palpatine. That's where I was by going. Sheev. Thanks. <laughs> that bitch killed, killed uh, our girl Padme. Uh, Padme died because she lost the will to live. Hey, Apparently, really fuck love, yourself. I have to believe the the terrible, unproven, likely untrue fan theory that he drained her life, or else I just can't handle it. So, <laughs> it's fine. Yeah. Um, and then the last the last Panaka thought, um, is that his wife is so much cooler than him. God, she's great. Any fictional or real world relationship in which the I mean, I don't want to say wife, but in which one partner, preferably female or non-binary or not a man, is uh, much more like get shit done, like figuring shit out, in charge. That That's my shit in, in literary like situations and real world situations. So I was really happy about that. And I like, too, that we didn't have to just have her talking to Panaka. I like that we get to see her in the camp. We get to see like different angles of her. Um, and I just thought that was nice. So it wasn't just through his lens. Yeah, her, like, talking um, to Sasha and Yane in the camp and, like, working with them to formulate the resistance in the camp and just being like, look at these little baby gays being sweet. She's just like a mama, mama hen, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But one thing that, like, obviously a book set during The Phantom Menace will do is it will make you think about Phantom Menace more. And we talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but, like, this book adds a lot of depth to what is not a particularly deep movie <laughs> at first glance. Um, and so, I don't know. Did y'all, Ronald, we'll start with you. Did you have any kind of reactions to this that made you, like, think of TPM differently? or? Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, I guess I think of TPM on a couple of different levels. One, what little like five-year-old me thought when I, you know, saw it in the theaters and I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And I like made everyone let me use their lipstick and like pale foundation to turn into Amidala for like Halloween and any chance I got. That was a part. Uh, but now, you know, that was, that was a long time ago. Um, so, uh, what, 22 years ago now? Um, and so uh, that side is probably less prevalent in how I think about the movies. There's also, of course, like the side that's like shitpost, right? Oh, all these memes. Wow, this is a terrible movie, but I'll laugh at it. Um, and then I think probably where I am in the middle is like thinking about how it enters into other canon in Star Wars, which I think this book helps with a lot. I think it will help appreciate it um, or help me appreciate it rather. And I think I said on a past pod, it was like I almost when we first started this book, I was like, do I want? the phantom menace no but now i feel like yeah i do um and i i don't know i'm not gonna report back maybe i'll live tweet for twitter people to unfollow (laughs) me but you can um, do a takeover i do think it yeah that's not um i mean maybe (laughs) unless you all want to have too many drinks and live tweet phantom menace it's fine i have a life i think um it's a pandemic i don't need a life but this is a really long answer to say I do think it helps me appreciate a lot of things in new light, right? The Handmaiden plot was always, like, interesting, and I had heard there was a comic about it and, you know, all that stuff, but um, I don't know. I haven't read the comic on it, but I've heard that there was, like, a very interesting comic on the Handmaidens, like, being, like, much more um, 
you know, much more having their own say and like being more powerful and all these things. And so I think it definitely made me appreciate it from that perspective. I liked the little tiny glimpses of TPM. I don't know why I'm calling it TPM now. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, uh, I don't and know. realizing I just... that like, <laughs> it's fine. Uh, and just realizing like I one thing I appreciated about the book was that those movie moments don't overshadow and like don't sort of hog the spotlight away from the individual or like unique book aspects. And so I think watching The Phantom Menace now that I've read this book, maybe I should read Queen Shadow too, um, will definitely help me appreciate it overall as like a part of a puzzle. That was a really long answer, but you're welcome. Oh, it was fine. I feel like I've yelled about things for longer than that. I'm long-winded. <laughs> so, I watched... So, we're, we're recording this Monday, as Chris said. I watched The Phantom Menace last night. <laughs> I just, like, put it on as my, this is what I have on while I'm cooking. And I'm, like, paying attention and, you know, chopping my parsley and shit. Um... I think with a book like this, like what I'm going to do is I'm going to be watching and especially like the parts at the end of the book that you just mentioned, Rana, where E.K. Johnson is just like filling some stuff in. It's like, oh, you know, Padme is cleaning all the carbon scoring off of R2-D2. And it's like, I'm, I'm just giggling at her being like, I should talk to the Gungans. That's a great idea. Ten points to Padme, right? Um but the one big thing that I noticed, I feel like on every other watch I've done of The Phantom Menace, even after reading, like, Queen Shadow, is, you know, the, the handmade storyline is kind of like, Padme has these handmaidens. She pretends to be one, and it's like a big twist. Like, oh my god, Padme's the queen. It's not this woman dressed up as Amidala. But, like, there's there was a scene that I'm thinking about in particular where it just, I never clocked it before. I never paid attention, which proves that the handmaidens are good at their fucking jobs. Uh, they're in the throne room. Um, I want to say, I want to say it's before, it's definitely before they leave for Coruscant slash Tatooine. If you look, so, like, obviously Padme is the queen. She's sitting in, like, the throne. And folks are standing around and sitting, and they've all got their chairs and stuff. But the handmaidens are, like, in the shot. <laughs> um, You know, and they're they're sitting in their own, like, big chairs in the circle with equal importance, basically. And I was like, holy sh- I have literally never noticed this before. And like, am I thinking about it aggressively because we just re- or we're, we just finished reading Queen's Peril? Yes, but it was. Um, I mean, obviously they didn't intend it like that, you know. To the extent that we know it from uh, Queen's Peril, when they, you know, filmed <laughs> the Phantom Menace in the '90s. But I think that, you know, just it, and it's one of those little details that like E.K. Johnson can take from the movie. And just be like, oh, yes, here you go. Um, you know, and there's parts in the book where, you know, like, oh, there will be, like, a couple handmaidens down there. And the rest will be, like, watching. Um, you know, like, when they have the the thing. 
trade meeting for the mm-hmm. system. What's that bitch called? Summit conference. Summit. That's the one. Do it. It's <laughs> so they have the summit at Yalta, and um, you know some of the. <laughs> Ready for making yourself laugh there, Bird. <laughs> Sorry. I cannot make weird history jokes. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. No, I mean, I, I, I got it. Oh, no, I I know. it's It was not a, a particularly niche <laughs> reference. Um, but, like, you know, they're, they're the handmaidens who are, like, watching from above with all the other folks, you know, like, random members of the the palace and then there's some that are just down there like as um as harley so lovingly dragged who she thought was sabe or no it was sabe this day like observers and it's just like i think on the rewatch after reading this the main point of everything i'm trying to say is oh no (laughs) I just had it, and then it fell out of my brain hole. Um, you know, that they're, the handmaidens are there, and they play a much more important role than we realize on first viewing. Thank you for coming to my shitty TED Talk. Very welcome on a shit post of a podcast. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. And I think kind of in that same vein one thing that i remember i said after or as we were reading queen's pair or queen shadow and now like i you know i feel even more about phantom menace and um attack of the clones is that i just like as you know back in 1999 i was eight nine nine probably when this came out i don't know what time of year it came out um it was may i only know that because yeah, I feel like it was a spring. It was, it was probably eight. not the time you'd expect for a, a Star Wars movie, but May. Yeah. So it came out in May. Yeah, and look how that turned out for it. <laughs> Don't know if we want to count that as the pinnacle of Star Wars releases, but okay. I'm just well, it's the Phantom Menace, like yeah, which we're, we're not we're not talking. But I mean, if you remember the hype around the Phantom Menace before yeah. it actually came out, it was like it had been you know what twenty years since a Star Wars movie. No, not quite, but almost, like, 18 years or something. Um, maybe a little less. And it was, like, just shocking. There was going to be another Star Wars. Like, everyone was obsessed with the idea. I, maybe not everyone. Maybe just the people I heard from because I was five. But, like, <laughs> I just remember, like, a huge, like, pop culture energy around, a oh, new Star Wars. So I feel like, I don't know what I'm talking about here, but the point is, yeah, it came out in May. Yeah, I remember exactly one thing about seeing The Phantom Menace. Um, in theaters and it was this like really scary I don't know if it was a preview or just like one of those did they have the things that they showed before the previews 1999 teasers no like like when you go in it's got like the dancing popcorn like a oh yeah yeah like the little animation animation that's like here's where the fire exits are yeah um it was that except it was an asteroid coming to earth and like destroying bridges and shit and i was six years old keska fuck <laughs> and i have always been super anxious and i think i think we had seen it in dc or like i was going into dc for something later and like over um the bridge on the blue and yellow line for those of you in the know um but like it it, it freaked the shit out of little you know six-year-old me 
But then at the end, a baseball player hit the asteroid with his bat. <laughs> and it went back into space. If only the dinosaurs had been so lucky. I know, right? <laughs> they just, you know, needed a Little real T-Rex slugger. arms couldn't. Yeah. yeah. Can't really hold a bat. That just reminds me of, just to continue getting even more off topic, it just reminds me of, um, it's like the first scene of Lovecraft Country of the first episode. And the the main character is like having it. We don't realize it at the time, although it becomes pretty clear. He's having a dream. Um, and he's like a sci-fi fan. So he's just like dreaming 20 different like sci-fi and history and various other things at the same time. And it ends with uh, Jackie Robinson killing Cthulhu with a baseball bat. <laughs> so Amazing. that's... That's that's what just uh, popped out to me from that story. If we can continue to be mildly off topic while mildly related as well. Sorry, severely off topic while mildly related. Keeks, feel free to cut this. But I just feel like this is my chance to give my story about something, which is that... Um, so when I was young, obviously I didn't look up like IMDb didn't exist. And I didn't look up who other than like the five seconds of trailer or not trailers credits. I didn't look up who played different people. And so a couple years later, when Pirates of the Caribbean came out, I, for some reason, I'm usually really good with faces, but I was like, this lady looks so much like Natalie Portman. <laughs> and all my friends were like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, no, she doesn't look like her, blah, blah, blah. And years and years went by. And then I went to finally rewatch The Phantom Menace. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been so val- or verified, whatever, validated. <laughs> I was not verified. I'll never be verified. Uh, thanks, Twitter. No, but um, you need that little that little white. Check. I don't want the. I don't need my blue check mark. I, it's not a blue check yeah. mark. It's a white check mark on a blue background. In this essay, is this your petty hill that you're correct. willing to die on, Miranda? You're not wrong. No, I have other hills I won't to argue die that. before this one. I'm just sorry, Rana. You it. were you were saying? No, no, it's okay. I was pretty much dead, and, and she's not wrong. Actually, that's correct. It is a a white check mark and a blue badge, but um, like a blue ribbon from a thing. Anyways, that was my story, and you don't have to include it in the pod, but I wanted people to know uh, at least. You three now know that that was my validation moment. It's yeah. A great story. So, Related to the Phantom Menace. <laughs> again, you know, it gives us a lot of insight into the Phantom Menace, but I'm also like really interested in seeing where she goes with a queen's hope. Yeah. Do we know the timeline? Like, in terms of when in the timeline, when and where are we? No, but do we know that for a Queen's Hope? We do. Um, it when is and going where to be will we be during the Clone Wars? Discussing, or just discussing, um, and the book is going to be about Padme, like in the Senate during the war, and also her relationship. Oh, with I want to read that. that. Oh, not that. I don't want the relationship part. I want the Senate. Give me more. Of my give me more. Bad you will you will like if you if you decide I to read it you will enjoy talk. queen shadow rana because it's very oh i will political. Yeah. Uh, give me some politics <laughs> not not 2020 politics but like fictional politics yeah space yeah. politics trade routes taxation but yeah anyway i feel like i was making a point like 20 minutes ago and then i got myself off topic but like it's one thing that me. this book has continued to do for me is like as like a young boy growing up in the late 90s in a very like toxic masculine society like i didn't give a shit about the handmaidens growing up did not care barely cared about padme when i was that young and like this book is and queen shadow also are like bringing new depth to them in a way that is just super like impressive and like marina kind of like you were 
getting at like almost like retcons them to like having this massive role behind the scenes by using mm-hmm. the tiny you know indicators that we had of like the we are brave your highness moment or them being in the background or like Padme and Sabe's relationship and it like it is just kind of doing this this perfect job of taking these characters that like obviously were like such a huge love and formative set of characters for E.K. Johnston as she's talked about and for you know an, an entire like generation of Star Wars fans and not only like writing a love letter to those characters but also kind of bringing that like caring about their story and bring that um that buy-in that I, I can't think of the word but like yeah uh, just getting everybody else to care about them as much too and see what is so great about them it's in a way to me it, it very much um kind of plays into that like girl power moment of the 90s um right like I was a little girl in the late 90s and like the fucking Spice Girls before Ginger Spice, Jerry Halliwell left, which is a memory I have, even though I was like four years old when it happened. Um, it, It was very much about this. You know, there was kind of a backlash to like the the masculine nature of society and this is like, oh, like we had those fucking handmaidens in nineteen ninety nine. Nobody fucking appreciated them. Here. Look at these badass teens. Yeah, for sure. And then one just to kind of wrap up this this section of new thoughts and feelings about Phantom Menace. Drew asks in the Tashi Patreon Slack, does this make you want to rewatch the Phantom Menace with a new love of the taxation of trade routes? Um, I mean, we, we jokes aside, we did talk about that a little bit and how it like does give us this larger view of galactic politics that we didn't have at that time. Yeah. And I feel like we maybe touched on this in one of our earlier episodes on this book, but you know, if, if you just watch the Phantom Menace, like with no other information, no other background, it all seems very sudden, Right. Like, oh, they're blockading this planet. Oh, I guess they're invading now. And this actually gives us that, like, build up. Which, I mean, I, I'm a person who likes to know why for everything. And this, for me, was just awesome to have. Like, here's how everything unfolded. You're welcome. Yeah, give me any explanation of the taxation issues without, like, the racist caricatures of, you know, everyone. Like, can we... I like this mm-hmm. this explanation better. Now I'm going to think about that instead yeah. of... It is nice to not have to hear Nuke Gunray's voice. Yeah. Yeah, every time I watch it as an adult, I'm like, oh, the 90s happened. It's rough. Mm-hmm. And to be yeah. fair, there are probably things in the current movies that people also feel that way about, or like that 10 years from now we'll watch and be like, whoa, that went over my head, you know, like, oh, that's so fucked. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's pretty explicit in The Phantom Menace. It's, it's aggressively bad. explicit. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's not good. Yeah. Phantom Menace is not a subtle movie in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. It's a Star Wars movie, but like, even for a Star Wars movie. <laughs> even, even for a Star Wars movie, it's very aggressive. Yeah. Um, 
And so to kind of get back to that question of Queen's Hope, another question from Drew is what story or aspect of Padme and the Handmaidens would you like to see in the now announced next book in the series? Okay. <laughs> I want. Would you care to elaborate on that? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I, I want the Handmaidens to be in it. Um, you know, if, if this is going to be about Padme's time in the Senate, we don't see a ton of it. Like, obviously, even though it scared the shit out of me, Attack of the Clones was my movie as a kid. And I used to just, like, watch it. I would, like, rent it on the weekends or make my parents rent it because I was 10. Um, and, like, just kind of watch it over and over. And, like, always get scared by the beginning when the explosion happens. Um, but, like, she still has a double, right? You know, she's still got Dorme in that case. Um, who, you know, takes the, the death for her by being blown up. Um, and so, like, it, there's clearly still something there, but it it's really unclear. I don't think we get a good look in, you know, other than that, in The Attack of the Clones or in um, Revenge of the Sith or in... This could just because it be because I haven't watched the Clone Wars in a while. Um, the Clone Wars, like it, it's not a prominent thing. So I'm just hoping that like they're still part of it because I mean that's that's really what's made for me. Other than all the great Padme shit, um, like that's what really makes this series so far. Also, if so, gay. Absolutely. Rana, how about you? Uh, I definitely echo the... Um, I want to know more about the idea of what happens to the handmaidens after they're no longer you know, in service of a queen, right? Obviously, there are a lot of other logistics for an intergalactic senate, and I can't imagine they need the same level of... Um, one, they can't have the same level of uh, you know, building the system around them, and two, I don't imagine they even have the same system... Two, maybe this is answered in Queen Shadow, but I was really curious the whole time of like when Dorme, when do they get another one? Like, or is that just because there was a new casted person in that movie? Like, I was just very curious about that. Um, otherwise, I think seeing more of the behind the scenes, which I think we get a little bit of in um, some of the Clone Wars series, but I want to see more of like, Padme's, uh, you know, intelligence, more of her as a character and more of her building, you know, the first steps of the rebellion. Um, I really like those little moments and I definitely want to see more of them. Oh, yeah. show. Absolutely. Can Rana, I... next time we have a dog play date, I'm bringing you Queen Shadow. <laughs> yes, please. Thank you. Can, can I build on that and then go back to another point that I forgot please. I was going to make earlier? Um, Padme is so fucking smart. And that's another thing that I kind of noticed um, on my Phantom Menace rewatch is that, you know, Palpatine's still like, she is young and naive. And Padme's like, I got this. So that was fun. I also want to see her be smart because she is. For me, I'm I'm, I'm absolutely uh, excited for everything that y'all said and Rana in particular for what you said about kind of like the, the... groundwork for the rebellion and i hope we get more of fucking homophobic (laughs) everything you said my greatness it's fine (laughs) 
um I, I i hope we see a lot of her working with mon mothma and bale in in this yes mom mothma the the star piece herself um, uh, but i'm really interested to see uk johnston write on Adala because one of my biggest issues with the prequels growing up is that it is very difficult to suspend disbelief that Padme <laughs> and Anakin would be together as written on screen. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, the only thing that makes me feel that way is the fact that we have all known smart, like young women who got with people and like, what? Like, yeah, what that is doing? true. I, I I knew a girl in high school who like for a second we all thought was going to go to one of the local colleges instead of Caltech where she actually ended up going because like her boyfriend at the time was going to go to the one of the local colleges. It's a big yeah. He yeah. He's a nice guy. It but, is like it, it is unfortunate how actually somewhat true to life the that that trope of their relationship is. But I also know that like E.K. Johnston has talked you know, before this, the book got announced about how like she loves Padme, you know, she like lives and breathes the handmaidens. She does not like their relationship on screen. And yeah, it's like, problematic. it is, I would hope yeah. not. For her. <laughs> it is, it's extremely problematic and extremely toxic. And I'm interested to see her write it because I will be very interested to see her take on how she reconciles, you know, the fact that it's canon and she can't, you know, just like get rid of it, but also, what we like you know as we've talked about this this whole series of episodes she's really good at kind of building around what we see on screen even when she's not given that much to work with i felt like there were some hints of that early on um not about anakin thankfully please no. <laughs> but um about these ideas of like little moments when padme is happy to get to like let her guard down and get to laugh about things and i almost felt like maybe that was what we were supposed to see was like emotional openness and vulnerability as something that she like maybe doesn't know how to handle and then it forces her to like view it in a different way i don't know we'll get it in the next book but i felt like hopefully well, i don't know but i just felt like to to respond however words work to respond to what you just said that like there were little moments in the book where I found myself thinking like, oh, maybe this is what happened. It's almost like trying to, you know, calculate why a car crashed, but it is what it is. So Amazing. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was gruesome. I apologize. I mean, that's fine. I, my, my brain is wired such that you said car crash and I just like started thinking of them like riding the shit ass like chariot together after being like i truly deeply love you so oh god also yeah, the gruesome. script is also a car crash it's not it's not ideal it's not the Sounds best right. it does make uh, me worry for the women in george lucas's life anytime he tries to write romance i'm just like yeah. okay it's fine. yeah it's, fine. it's yeah. it's very much how just how just, just why and how are the two I questions mean, I have. Again, it's art imitating life, so. Sorry. I mean, that, yeah, but that's... his new, his like, his current wife is like super badass. I mean, I know his first one also was part of why Star Wars is, was a success, but like his current wife is like badass, brilliant. Or did they get divorced? I don't remember. But um, she was like super, super cool at everything I ever read about her. And then I wondered like, how does that work? But whatever, it's cool. I mean, listen. Speaking as a man, the smartest thing we can do is marry up. So, it explains you, Kate. 
Thank you, Kate. Um. Anyway, <laughs> I had a, I had a transition and it was gone. Um, Rana, I'm sorry. Were you were you finishing something up? Oh no, I was just talking shit. You're good. Perfect. <laughs> um, we have another few questions from the listeners, and as always, y'all can send us questions about any of the books we read on Twitter. I guess you could do it on Instagram, although I'm not really sure why you would. Um, or on the Tasha Eats Station Patreon Slack. Um, but Drew, who is really getting a lot of airtime this episode, uh, <laughs> asked, were you happy with this being a prequel or would you have preferred a direct continuation of Queen Shadow? And I actually want to throw that to you first, Rana, but I want to reframe it since you didn't read Queen Shadow. If you were told that you were getting a book about Padme, what period of her life would you want it to be? I'd be open to most of them. I wanted to know how she got into the role that she was in at such an age. I wanted to know, like, show me her at her prime, her, like, intellectual power on display and not just, like, oh, you're tearing me apart. Like, I don't want to hear that. Like, it's cool. So I know I know I should be, like, emotional vulnerability is fine. But also, like, show me her at her prime. Like, her, um, you know, doing cool shit breaking the system or building the system, whatever it is. Like that's what I would want to read about. So. She's a badass. Mm-hmm. Show me badass Padme, not like sad abuse of pregnant Padme. Sorry. I got dark again. That's, that's the whole prequel trilogy. We also happy get, landing. <laughs> we also get badass Padme in um, Thrawn Alliances. Another, another good one. Oh. I've heard Which, good things about that. Another thing to read. Yeah. Tim Zahn, not necessarily... Well, I don't know. This, Legends fans will disagree um, to various extents, but not necessarily known for writing female characters well. Or writing female characters? I mean, Mara Jade. Well, okay. One. Some of us haven't fucking read Legends. I mean, well, that's that's <laughs> that's that's the point I'm making, is that there's... Anyway. neither. That's a different point. But that has a lot of badass Padme content, and absolutely like stupid feral raccoon anakin content as well so highly recommend it's a very good book it's very funny if you like to shit on anakin and who doesn't tbh um burb what about you were you happy with this kind of being a prequel taking place in tpm or would you have preferred a direct continuation of queen shadow i loved that it was a prequel you know, again, I'm very into like the the background and the why, and especially, you know, we we had the the handmaidens in the other book, in Queen Shadow, and I don't super remember the finer details, but this, you know, it, it just really fleshed them out, and like we got to know, okay, where do they come from, um, what do they do, like what's, <clears throat> how many of them are actually gay, um. <laughs> Etc. But I, I think it was really interesting, as we've discussed at length, to have it set during um, the Phantom Menace. Because Queen Shadow is at the end of her reign. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know, I, I think it's fun to go from like the end of her reign to like, we're going to start right before the beginning of it. And like during the election. So it's fun. To, it, it, I mean, it's almost like 
the, the, the you know, I'm not going to say Ovech trilogy because Kristen's going to yell at me, but the trilogy of trilogies, right? Like we go from, okay, you know, here's the original, this is what happens. And I'm just like, hey, we're going to backfill some information with this shitty prequel trilogy that I adore. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I think it's cool just like for the content that we got from it, but also it's like it follows Star Wars, you know? Mm-hmm. That's kind of, I'm kind of in a similar place as you in that like i and i mean this this is this this viewpoint has certainly been challenged over the past you know year or so since the rise of skywalker came out but i'm generally of the opinion that that all star wars is good star wars um and i also am not a very creative person when it comes to (laughs) thinking up plots like i i've never really been able like been somebody who writes who's been able to like write fanfic i will come up with like broad ideas of like what i would love to see from characters but not so much specific plot points and so also like enjoying ek johnston as an author and kind of trusting her take on padme i'm very much a if this is the book that she wants to write then let's have her write it and i'm excited for it yeah i'll read it i'll trust her um tyler with a really really interesting question do you think the padme portrayed in this book is closer to the live action padme or the padme we got in clone wars clone wars yeah i'm in don't I'm know why i screamed but to yeah. say clone wars if only because that is more of like badass day-to-day padme than something wonderful has happened yeah i mean i guess the literal answer would be we do see shots in the book from the phantom menace not shot scenes but yeah, personality-wise, like Clone Wars, getting shit done. Yeah, I, I definitely think that the answer is Clone Wars. But I enjoyed the fact that we did get that overlay of scenes from the movie in this one. Like Queen Shadow mm-hmm. was very heavily Clone Wars, like all all Clone Wars all the time. And this one did give me that kind of that view of, you know, what is she thinking while she's, you know not emoting with her face in the movie. Um, and so, like, I... In my head, I was better able to picture Natalie Portman as opposed yeah. to, like, animated Clone Wars Padme as I was reading this book. But, I mean, personality-wise, yeah, it's it's Clone Wars Padme, for sure. And then last question from Thai Pilot Dandy, in again, in the Tashi Slack... With these books providing such great insights, what do you think the biggest strengths of the handmaiden system are versus traditional guards and security to protect and service a monarch? It's the one thing that Star Wars does not do. It's subtlety. You can like throw any number of guards, right? But you know, when we've been talking this whole time, not so much today, but over the course of the last two episodes, like these teenage girls are fucking smart and like they've got a plan for everything and like yes you know panaka did kind of go into it with like oh like it would be good for her to learn from you you know things about whatever right like whatever the person's thing is um but they're literally like okay so what if we take this traditional like gown dress thing 
And instead of making it 10,000 pounds, we're going to do like a lighter fabric, but it's going to be like also bulletproof. <laughs> and it's like that, that kind of like thing. It's, it's just different. You know, traditional guards, you're like, oh, you picture these, you know, big burly folks. They've got their blasters. They kind of fee-fi-fo-fum around the world. <laughs> um... That was uh, that is a joke from today's crossword. I am so sorry. <laughs> um, I was gonna say that is a, <laughs> a little bit of a deep cut with some some Jack and the Beanstalk. Stuff no, I thought on. maybe it was a personal like remembrance of some Just remembrance. My... The word is memory. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, Fifi Fo Fum is the theme of today's New York Times crossword. It's uh, Monday, May third. And now. Thank you for that. <laughs> I feel like I'm listening to NPR. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's I, it's it's something that you wouldn't expect, which I think has that innate strength and innate advantage. Yeah, if I can just add up on that. Sorry, Chris, to just immediately no, speak please over do. you before you've even opened your mouth. But um, I feel like there is an inherent quality of leadership in being able to know what your, you know, constituents and people who you're serving, um, you know, sorry, I'm really trying not to laugh at something that Miranda put in the chat, but um, there's really an important quality of leadership in that. And what this system does is it allows Padme to one, get to have an unfiltered, um, experience at times when she's not being Amidala, but also it allows the handmaidens to have that on the ground perspective as well. And I think that that's essential in checking yourself as a leader. Uh, I guess that's why undercover boss is a thing, but I've never watched that. Um, but just that general sense of like, <laughs> don't laugh at me. I don't know. Um, Sorry, I know that sounds no, really no. Like sorry, I have I'm just thinking in of my head to the podcast <laughs> listeners, but it's I'm, ju- I'm just thinking of Adam Driver. That's what I Star Killer Base. That's exactly what I was thinking of. But then I was like, no, wait, what was the? Point? I heard that Kylo Ren's ribs. <laughs> <laughs> I might go back and watch that now later after this uh, recording, depending on how much more beer I have. Amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think for me and the, both of you have kind of. Uh, said you know different aspects of this but i think we're gonna give you credit for it oh i'm gonna take all the credit you're not gonna like you don't need to give me anything i'll take it for myself um uh i think the biggest thing that i like about the handmaiden system is that it empowers amadala to take control of her own security and i think that you know and this this mileage may vary irl but like i think trusting her to know what she can and can't do and to know what is and isn't dangerous and when she should and should not listen to Banaka is in addition to just being like practically a good idea I think it's very important to see that in a monarch and as Star Wars fans who are not in universe to see that in Padme Mm -hmm. and to see that in a monarch as well is like that's just how people learn and like she is literally a teenager in this like it's that trial and error of life like find out what doesn't fucking work find out what's gonna get you in deep shit maybe don't do that in the future or at least like 
you know, think more about it before you kind of barrel into it like a certain somebody's husband would do. That's an Anakin joke. Okay, yeah. She's got it. She's got it. <laughs> uh, at first I thought you meant, like, someone that we knew in real life, and I was like... Yeah, fuck Chris. <laughs> right, I was like, the only one... I guess it could be well a known. reference to Quinn, but that seems unfair. Okay, yeah. That makes more sense. Uh, yes. And then the other, the other thing that I like about it is that it surrounds her with security by her peers, which I also think is mm-hmm. kind of similar to knowing her own security best. It's, you know, there is always something to be said for experience. And Panaka did end up having valuable contributions in putting the system together in the first place and recruiting the, the handmaidens. But I think as, 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 as a society, but like pompousness aside, like I do think that we put a lot of faith in experience over or in historical experience over like lived experience, if that makes sense, over current experience. And I think that that's right. something that and the handmade like... system is is built to avoid. And to a degree as well, like I if I were Padme or if I just like were somebody who had some kind of guard system around me at all times, there's a difference between like living and like having like bodyguards who follow you around and again they're big and burly and blasters and like oh these are like you know obviously there's like the complicated issue of you know kind of separating friend from you know i can order you to die but you know they they are both they are her her friends and like these are people that she obviously deeply trusts um and it's that that personal like kind of intimate connection that i think puts her at ease and lets her be more herself in her decision making and everything else. Absolutely. All right. I think that's a great place to leave it. Uh, unless either of you has any final thoughts. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this week's episode. Next week, we are going to be starting from a certain point of view the empire strikes back. Uh, very excited to be returning to the from a certain point of view like not a series collection of thoughts i don't know that was a thought in my head um we're going to be starting with the first story which is against all odds and reading through the final order uh in the meantime you can find us on the tasha stage radio patreon on twitter or instagram at bookwarspod or bookwarspod at gmail.com if you want to email us uh, if you have the means, first and foremost, please donate to the Love Loan Foundation or other excellent charitable causes. And then if you do want to support us, you can do so by donating to the Tasha Station Radio Patreon, as mentioned, or giving us coffee at ko-fi.com slash bookhorsepod. Really helps us cover our hosting and production costs, and we will keep the pet content coming. We have now that now that the pandemic is like starting to end. I don't know. Maybe we have to be stingy with that again. Only only give people pet content when they when they donate. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, our theme song is "Whiz Bang" by Poddington Bear. Our logo and artwork are by Joe Butera Design, and our audio and production are done by Kristen McDonald. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Book Wars Pod. For myself, Miranda, Rana, Kristen, and Kate, we will talk to you next week. 
Nice. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> as soon as you get into like pod dad voice, I'm like, oh shit, he's too loud. It's because that's when I talk into the mic. Yeah. <laughs> I Haven't know. you learned you can't talk into my mic? <laughs> oh, that's, no. that's what I've been saying this whole time.